Stonemeyer Games, and <clears throat> I meant to do a little experiment today. Um, uh, a viewer who isn't always able to join in live, I think it was Blake, suggested this to me, suggested that I start the stream a little bit earlier than 10 o'clock Central Time. So right now it's around, it just turned 10, so it's 10 o'clock Central Time. He suggested that I started a little bit early and just kind of have a low-key countdown timer. So maybe I'm here, but maybe I'm still, you know, checking my email for the last few minutes, not really interacting for a few minutes. Um, because he said that sometimes Facebook does not, uh, does not, this, the stream doesn't pop up right away on your feed at the time that I start. So he said the sign is that there's a delay. Like he, he, I think he said he, he tuned in, he went on Facebook around 10 o'clock and nothing was there. And then it was a few minutes later that he saw the, the feed pop up. So, um, I did like this idea. I like the idea of kind of starting a little bit early, a little bit low key and, um, and then officially starting right at 10 o'clock <clears throat> that way after that the low-key countdown timer that this would be in your feed so i'm curious i see some people are showing up right away chad dominic george tony uh you were you were here right away but i'm curious if anyone else has had that experience with um with a live feed that maybe you wanted to watch that doesn't actually appear right away in your feed if you would like that little countdown timer delay or if you uh if you wouldn't and related i'll, I'll give a shout out to another publisher that kind of does this on youtube um recently i've been tuning in for the stone saga designer discussions on youtube with out of our mind games they've had uh, a running feed and they've kind of had a little countdown clock and then they, they go live at a certain time i don't know what software they're using to do that but i've enjoyed the conversations there and the game looks interesting it's a game about crafting um and i, th I believe it's a campaign game about crafting that's on youtube it, out of our mind games is oom games and this is about their stone saga game all one word Uh, let's see what the comments are today. I'm looking for questions at the beginning here, and then I'll jump in for some topics. I have a, a fun visual to share with you today. Really fun visual, I think. Um, so a few people have mentioned that, uh, that Andrew Bosley, an artist that we've worked with on Viticulture World and Tapestry, announced yesterday that he is building this really big world. He's calling it the, the Smoking Bones World. Might have some other names too, but that's, what, that's the name that I associate with it. And he revealed that he is working with us, with Stillmeyer Games, to create a series of games in that world. That's all the information that we're sharing at this time. Um, but uh, Andrew and I talked about revealing at least that much information uh, as, as a, little, a little tease to let you know something that is happening. And um, like all of our products, when we get a lot closer to having completed these products, um, we will we'll talk about them. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that collaboration. It's been going on for a while now. And I always love working with Andrew. And it's really neat to work with Andrew in a world that he created. Because so far, I've only worked with him on Viticulture World and, uh, and Tapestry, which is its own world, but it also is any world that you want it to be. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the collaboration. Steve is waking up early again, very early again. Uh, oh, here's Blake who suggested the uh, the countdown timer. Sorry, Blake, I didn't quite get it today as quite as early as I hoped, but but hopefully I'm a little closer. And Steve is here from Australia again. He says his body clock even woke him up five minutes before my actual alarm. I'm always impressed that our bodies can do that. That if you set an alarm, it doesn't always work, but every now and then your your body kind of keeps track of time internally and is able to wake up at that at that time that you wanted that you wanted to wake up. Uh, Michael said, so about this countdown idea, Michael says he has a schedule on his calendar and Facebook never notifies him. So he never even gets a notification anyway. Um, I wonder if there's something that I could do better. I've looked into that in the past that I could do better to help more people realize that I'm live. If you want to be notified of it going live, I could do the thing where I schedule a live video event that might work, but it's a weekly thing. So I don't know. Facebook is giving me a lot more options today. Like I can, I can open a poll today if I want to. I can um, look for the, a lot more comment moderation stuff right on my screen right now than, than is usually there. Interesting. Um, so Tony says, it happens to me every week. I have a reminder on his phone and I refresh his Stillmire Games Facebook page over and over and over until I pop up. I appreciate that commitment, Tony. I'm sorry you have to go through that. But uh, yeah, all this kind of reinforces maybe a little bit that um, that I should try this. Although even if we tried the the early countdown timer, that some of you still may not get any notification at all, which is unfortunate. So sorry about that. 
Chad says he doesn't have lag. And um, Carl's mentioning a little little flash sale that we did. And Carl, yeah, I'll mention I'll, I'll mention this real quick. Um, every year we send out a demographic survey at the end of the year, and it's uh, we ask a bunch of questions to people who subscribe to our e-newsletter to ask them, so we can basically learn more information about you and how you are currently feeling about games and our games, so we can better serve you. And one of the things that we ask in that survey is, are there any Stonemaier games that you want to own, are curious to own, but haven't taken the plunge yet, you haven't bought it, you haven't been gifted it? And, uh, and we asked for one specific game, like what's the number one game that you want to have from some games but you don't have yet? And I use that information every year to send out a flash sale survey, or not, not flash sale survey, flash sale opportunity at different times of the year, but I did it a couple days ago. And um, I basically say like, okay, you said you really want to get Viticulture. Here's an opportunity for you to get Viticulture on, on sale, on a special sale. And, uh, and I even had a little twist this year, a little something kind of like a money-back guarantee, but not entirely a money-back guarantee. Just, uh, yeah, so just something that we do every year. I'm mentioning it now in case you remember it later this year when you do get that notification for the demographic survey. We really do use that data, and we also try to reward you in the end with stuff like this. So um, thank you to anyone who filled out that, de that demographic survey, and hopefully you got the notification if you answer the question about uh, a game that you want. Hopefully you got that notification a few days ago. A little dark in my office today. Probably doesn't look, my lighting is pretty good here. I, I can barely see the notes that I have on the screen right now because it's so dark and rainy today in St. Louis. Um, and Facebook's doing the scrolly thing, but I'll try to find what the latest comment is right now. Let's see, Steve says, what game are you the most proud of having designed? Hmm. Oh, I could go so many directions with this, Steve. Um, I mean... Viticulture definitely is very close to my heart because that's the very first game that I designed that I also published, that we published. That's very close to my heart. Um, there are games that were very challenging to design, like Charterstone. Charterstone was incredibly challenging to design, and so I'm, I'm proud that it ended up working out in the end. And in a way, with all these big games that I've designed, I'm a little proud that I was able to design a little micro game that actually worked and that I have fun with. I don't know if everyone does, but I have a lot of fun with Smitten. Little you know, 18 card, 10 minute game. It's uh, harder to do than than uh, than I expected. And so I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of all my games for different reasons. And, uh, you know, the, in the end, the, the goal is to bring you joy. And so if, if any of our games have brought you joy, then I'm proud of them for that reason as well. Blake says, was, uh, he says, was wondering if you were following along with Stone Saga. What are your initial thoughts? I'm still learning a lot about the game, Blake, but I'm enjoying these live plays from Out of Our Mind Games. And uh, the crafting system reminds me a little bit of something that was done in role player adventures, where you can kind of say, okay, I think these two things go together and might craft. Like, I have fire, I have a stick, that's probably going to make a torch. And the game seems to enable you to do that. To, to kind of, I don't know if it's an app or if you're using some sort of cipher in the game to say, I want to put this fire on the torch. We've seen that in unlock games as well. So it's not a completely new mechanism, but it's a neat mechanism. It feels more open and organic for creativity within the game. So I really like that. I don't, I don't know much else about the game, but I like that idea of crafting in the game. Um, and I'm curious to learn more. Chris is asking about the new game called Lorcana. Um, oh, and Chris, I should clarify here. I don't actually... Lorcana, I don't think, is a new version of Magic the Gathering. It is a... Uh, collectible card game, but it uh, it isn't like a variant of Magic the Gathering. It, it's just its own collectible card game. As far as I know, I'm 99% sure of that. But yeah, Lor uh, Lorcana is coming out later this year, and um, I'm I'm very curious to see what they do with it. I I love the art. The art is charming. That I the art that I've seen so far. Uh, Chris shared a, a link here that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what they do with it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly. I was actually just thinking about it yesterday. I was like, I, I don't know if I'll get into the collectible aspect of it at all, but I would love to play a game of it, and I'll buy a few packs and play a game, maybe even draft it if I can, because that's how I love to play Magic. So Chad has a question about bird submissions, bird art. This is a big topic that I wanted to talk about today. One of the big reveals that I made this week, and this is a relatively recent idea, but I, I kind of checked with the Wingspan artists, I checked with Elizabeth, I checked with my team, our shareholders, and we all kind of decided that it would be a lot of fun to do, a fun way to celebrate 
all the art that people have created for fun for Wingspan, um, just birds that, you know, the, the birds that people love and they create art for it and they share it in the Wingspan Facebook group. We've decided to create a pack, a promo pack of cards where each card is an existing bird in Wingspan, but instead of using Anna and Natalia's art, we are going to use an illustration submitted to us by a fan of Wingspan. And Chad, Chad is an, an artist over here. Chad, it sounds like he's going to submit one. Uh, Chad says, "Have I? do we have any submissions yet? We have a few submissions, but mostly so far we have a lot of people on a, a, a Google Doc saying, I, I, want to, I want to submit for this bird. And please, for anyone watching along, if you look at that Google Doc, because there are two Google Docs, there's a form where you actually submit the bird. And there's a separate Google Doc where you can see all the different birds in Wingspan, and you can also see names next to them. Those aren't hard reservations. Anyone can edit that form. Anyone can type their name on it. So if you do see a bird that you really, really want to submit, and someone else also has their name there, you can add your name there too. It, that is, it's really just kind of to communicate to other people that you are thinking about submitting a bird or that you you are hoping to submit a bird, uh, a specific bird, um, to prevent overlap. The reason being that we are only going to pick one illustration for each bird. So if you do pick the same bird as somebody else, um, it, only one will be chosen. Also, while you can put your name down multiple times on the Google Doc, uh, please, if you do that, indicate that you have done so, that you're writing down your name multiple times. Put that in the note itself so that uh, so that people know that uh, that is not as that you have options that you're considering. Um, again, it is not a hard reservation. The only thing that matters is your one and only form submission because you can only submit one bird. Um, yeah, but it, I've gone into the details a little bit here, but I'm really, really excited about this. I, I, I love and the creativity that has come out from Wingspan, and I hope to see artists of all ages submit their art artists of all experiences and artists of all mediums and styles too. I want to see some crazy styles of birds in here because we can go wild with this. It can be whatever you want. Um, there's a charitable aspect to it too. You can, you can read the blog post on Monday if you want to see all the details. I'm happy to talk more about it if you want. But that reminds me, I want to show you the, the, the visual that I want to talk about today. I had Panda send me the, a sample pack of the vision-friendly cards that we've been working on. So these are packs of cards of the original Wingspan cards that are more vision friendly. And I'm going to show them an example to you right now. So here is the original Wingspan bird card layout. I don't actually have this exact bird to compare to you side by side, but you can see this here. And here is the new vision friendly format. I know it isn't quite as elegant and streamlined, but it is significantly more vision friendly. We've increased the size of certain icons. Let me move my fingers here. Um, we have gotten rid of text that you don't absolutely need to help it to help with visual clarity. So we've gotten rid of the flavor text and uh, gotten rid of the Latin name up here. And again, I, I should emphasize this right now. This is a separate pack. This is not a permanent replacement of the format of the Wingspan bird cards. This is the correct format. This is the format that you continue to see in all games and all expansions. If though you struggle maybe, or you or someone you play with struggles a little bit visually with the cards, um, or you just want the cards from a certain expansion. Maybe you don't want all the Wingspan Asia stuff. You just want the cards. This is a way for you to buy just the cards. So here is the visual, fr visual friendly version next to the standard version of the card. The font is a lot bigger down here. And you can see down at the bottom down here that instead of having the black text on the, uh, the brown background, we have kind of blocked out a, a white area here and ha we have put big black text on that area to make it easier to read. So yeah, the goal of this is just to make Wingspan cards easier to read for those who maybe struggle a little bit to read the text on the cards or to di differentiate different areas of the cards, different icons. Uh, we put a lot of thought and time and research into this. And um, we're after the Chinese New Year, we should wrap up production. And so we should have them in the late spring, I think, uh, for, for you. So one of these little experiments that we do, we don't really know how many people will want it. Like anything, if, if we haven't made enough, we'll make more. Um, but I was really excited to show that to you today. So if you have any questions, let me know. I can show you more examples. Let's see. Garrett says, do you have any thoughts, uh, plans to watch The Last of Us on HBO? The first episode was phenomenal. We haven't watched it yet. It, it is going to be on our queue. Currently, we're watching through the His Dark Material season three on HBO. So... Um, so maybe after that, we'll, we'll start tuning into The Last of Us. 
YX10 says, what game do you think will dethrone Gloomhaven from the top of Board Game Geek, and why is it Wingspan? Um, I'm flattered that you that you like Wingspan more than Gloomhaven. Um, Wingspan, I, I think, has settled into a nice spot in kind of the mid twenties on the rankings on Board Game Geek. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think too much about about the rankings in that way. I'm I'm happy that Gloomhaven has gotten a, a lot of love for people and that has brought people joy. That's the goal of all this. Whether or not games have brought people, whether or not games have brought people joy. I, w I have been curious a little bit if Frosthaven would eventually jump past Gloomhaven. And I think that's quite possible. I think a, a lot of people who love Gloomhaven bought Frosthaven and are playing it and are seem to be enjoying the additions. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it'll take months and months for the shipping for that to be complete. And then we'll see what the impact on the ratings, the rankings will be. Dusty popped in a little bit today. Good to see you, Dusty. Corlin says, any big game releases for Gen Con this year? Will you be attending this year? Uh, Stomire Games will have a big presence at Gen Con, as usual, in, in coordination with MeepleSource. And while we don't release things at Gen Con, there's oftentimes a release that happens like a, a little bit before Gen Con. And for people who go to Gen Con, they can, they can see that release for the first time at Gen Con. So I think it's likely that there will be, uh, there will be a product at Gen Con that, uh, that will have already delivered to pre-order customers, but also will be at Gen Con this year. Steve says, Scythe has sold over half a million copies and is number 16 on BoardGameGeek. As a designer, you always want to design something better than your previous designs. But with the amazing success of games like Scythe, does this create a false, false imposter syndrome feeling that you can't top your past games? If so, how do you overcome this? That's a great question, Steve. I, I do, I, I definitely feel imposter syndrome. I feel it more when I look at the amazing things that other publishers and other designers are doing. And I'm like, how, it's not a, it's not a feeling of competition, but it's, it's a feeling of, of uh i'm just impressed by what other people do and i and i i i sometimes wonder if i am adequate um and you're right with with certain games like scythe viticulture uh some of my earlier games are some of the top ranked games um that, that we have at our company and then we have wingspan up there as well and so you know it's been a few years that, since we've had a game that has essentially brought people enough joy that it has worked its way into the top 100 of BoardGameGeek. Um, so, yeah, whenever I design a game, I'm like, I, I hope this game can be as good as something that I've created in the past. I can bring people joy in the same way that, they, that our games have in the past. Um, so, yeah, I, I think about that. I, I, th I think about the joy element a, a lot. And, um, and I wonder if I'm growing as a designer. Sometimes I wonder if I'm regressing as a designer. I hope not, but sometimes... I wonder about that, given that it's been since, I don't know, Scythe I designed in 2014, 2015. Um, that's eight years since I've, since I've designed a game that, that has seemed to reach people in the same way that Scythe and Viticulture have reached people. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think about it. I try not to harp on it, though, I, I, because I, I don't know if much good can come with that. I think my goal remains when I sit down and design, how can I make something fun and innovative and intuitive and balanced and something that will bring people joy. Um, and I, I thought I accomplished that with Tapestry. I thought I accomplished that with Red Rising. Um, it's I'll keep trying. Yeah, I'll keep trying. Tony says his group played The Forest of Pangea last night. He says, I know you and Stonemaier Games are highly environmentally conscious and would be interested to know how this game followed suit. In touch with the theme of trees and nature, all the pieces are wood. The cards are in paper envelopes and the insert inside is cardboard only. No plastic in the production and it's beautiful. I do see these, the, the, you posted uh, some nice photos here and uh, it does look really, really beautiful there. Wow. Yeah. I still wish, I mean, there are certain things that plastic is just more effective at, like far more effective at miniatures and inserts even. Like I, yeah, it's, it's tough to beat a good plastic insert. And so, in the end, the experience for us trumps anything, um, but uh, but I, I hope for more to to use. I hope to continue to use plastic less and less. And I appreciate you sharing that example for me to check out. Thank you for sharing. Chet says, "Where do you follow the Stone Saga series? Is oh, is it a video series? Yeah, it's on the Out of Our Minds O O O M YouTube channel. They have a kind of an ongoing series about that." Dusty is chiming in also about our collaboration with Andrew Bosley's... Oh, he's calling it The Wits End. Okay, The World of Smoking Bones and The Wits, Wits End World. 
Um, he says, I can't wait to see what avenues you choose to explore in that world that is being built. And Dusty links to it here below. Yeah, th thanks, Dusty, for sharing your excitement for that world. It's a, it's a really incredible world. I'm excited to be, to be working within that world with Andrew. So uh, Corel is watching here. So Corel is actually the graphic designer who helped put together these cards. So he's the one that actually implemented the design into the cards. And I think Corel, you came up with the idea of putting the text on the white and having the color in the background, I believe. That was one of the later changes that we made for vision friendliness. Yeah, so thank you so much Corel for doing that. Miles says, will the fan art cards have the new card layout design? Um, Miles, thanks for asking about that. No, I think we'll probably do something a little bit different for the final cards. I don't know exactly what we'll do for, for the, 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 the fan art layout, because I really want to feature the art in particular. And so I want to make as much room as possible for the art itself for the fan art cards. That's why we're even making it eligible for there to be uh, art in the background. So I don't, I don't know, Miles. We'll, we'll talk about that with Christine and maybe Corel too might have some thoughts about how we can best showcase the art for those cards, but still have them be functional cards as well. JB is popping in. He says, during the Christmas holidays, family gatherings were an excellent opportunity to teach Wingspan to his nephews, 14 to 16 years old, and play five players in French. Having played more Wingspan recently with his partner, I decided to order Wingspan Asia. He's looking forward to discovering those new birds. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you enjoy um, the new birds that, um, that are in Wingspan Asia. So all, all the birds are new in Wingspan Asia as compared to the previous expansions in the game. Todd says, any predictions on emerging mechanisms that will become popular and shift game design elements? That's tough to say, Todd. Um, that's tough to predict that, what, what mechanisms will jump to the top. And sometimes it's really some of the best games that come out are games that just innovate on existing mechanisms. Arc Nova, you know, I think took the world by storm, including myself, with a combination of mechanisms that exist in some form in other games, but they really came together really well in Arc Nova. Um, my general answer to this question isn't so much about mechanisms, but it's about the onboarding process into games. I, I think built-in tutorials in games are, um, will, will continue to be a trend that grows and grows and expands, and we'll see innovation in that realm quite a bit, and I look forward to that. I, I love letting a game onboard me into the experience in a way that, uh, that is really nice and pleasant and smooth. Yeah. Mandy says she's excited to see my live chat with the Blood on the Clock Tower folks this week, tonight. That is tonight. In Central Time, it is 5 o'clock Central Time. So I have, I'll have like 30 minutes where I'm just going to have a chat with uh, some of the Blood on the Clock Tower folks about um, starting and growing a business, which they are doing quite well, I believe. Mandy says it's currently her favorite game, and she says, I'm happy to know you had some influence on the creators. Have you played it? I have played Blood on the Clock Tower a few times. A few times on Discord and once in person. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the game. It's a it's quite an innovative, large group social deduction game. Craig says he's a champion on the U.S. store and he's moving back to Australia soon. Do I need to cancel my champion subscription and resubscribe to it in the Australia store? Thanks for asking about that, Craig. Um, I would recommend reaching out to Joe uh, to see exactly what he wants to do with that. I, I would not recommend that you actually cancel anything. Um, he might ask you to in the end, but we'll probably, we'll, we'll be able to transfer the subscription, basically. We'll, we'll, we will end up probably canceling your, your U.S. store champion membership and just uh, starting a new one on the Australia store. But it, um, we don't want you to pay anything extra, and canceling sometimes can throw things, um, th because if you, I believe if you cancel, if you have like three months left on your champion membership and you cancel now, I believe those three, those remaining three months still stay in effect. Um, so I don't know. We just want to make sure it, it lines up correctly. So just contact, contact at stonemeyergames.com and, and Joe will help you out. Steve says he picked up Tapestry in the demographic sale after playing his best friend's copy a few times. For what it's worth, Tapestry brings, brings me as much joy as Viticulture and Scythe, so you're definitely not regressing. Thank you for saying that, Steve. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, Tapestry is, it continues to be maybe the biggest... Um, it, it has confused me the most as to where it has ended up on BoardGameBee because uh, I love the game. I, I think it is similar in, in what it offers to the, the tabletop experience as Scythe. 
but Scythe is rated 8.2 on BoardGameGeek. Tapestry is rated 7.4. I try not to get caught up in those ratings, but I, I, uh, I, I was actually just putting together a, a kind of a sell sheet for the new Tapestry expansion yesterday, and I happened to, so I happened to look at the rankings, and I was like, I, I just, I don't get it. I, I don't think it's nearly a full point less than Scythe in terms of, in terms of, uh, in, in terms of what it adds to the tabletop experience. But so. Sometimes I, I wonder a little bit, perhaps unfairly, if um, if if it's related to the company growing, if it's related to to uh, people's thoughts that go beyond the st scope of the game, maybe what people think about me or of, of Stellar Games. But maybe it is just the game itself. Maybe a lot more people just happen to enjoy Scythe than than Tapestry. I don't know. Cortland also says that Tapestry is a top 100 game for him. He says his wife and him also love Red Rising and they love the books as well. He says that he still thinks there's room to take Red Rising to a higher level with a tabletop type game. Now, I was very curious to do that, Cortland. I think the chances of, of us doing that are actually a little bit less now that we saw the results on this year's demographic survey. Uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of excitement for us to do much else with Red Rising. I know there, there anecdotally there is, uh, but... Uh, yeah, the, the survey re results did not indicate a lot of interest in us doing that. Um, yeah, topics today. I, I haven't really looked at my notes today. I wanted to mention some chocolate things that I've tried recently that blew my mind. Two things that I did not know existed, and now that I know I do, that they do, I need to stay away from them, otherwise I'll eat them all the time. One, I posted on Instagram today, which was... We ate a crepe cake this past weekend. It was multiple layers, I think around like 20 layers of crepe, uh, crepe and not crepe, crepe and and uh, an icing and ganache, one layer after another. And we had, Megan and I each had a slice. We chose the Nutella flavor. And this was from La, Pat La Patisserie Choquette. And it was amazing, it was so good. I'd never thought about turning a crepe into a cake. So good. And then yesterday, uh, Megan's parents, recently sent me some chocolates from Andre's Chocolate in Kansas City. And one of the things in the package was something I didn't really know what it was until I bit into it yesterday, because it was kind of this, it was a, a small cake shape covered in chocolate, and it turned out to be pecan pie covered in chocolate. So it was a slice of pecan pie, kind of with, uh, with the crust on the top and the bottom instead of only on the bottom, and surrounded in chocolate, like dipped in chocolate. And I never knew that I wanted that, but now I do all the time because it was so good. It was very sweet and sugary. I kind of had the jitters after eating it. Fortunately, it was only a, sli a small slice. But yeah, pecan pie dipped in chocolate. Who, who thought of that? It was amazing. Those are my chocolates of the day. I also have a question. I see a question from Kevin. Kevin, I'll get to that in one second. I, I wanted to ask you all this question real quick because yesterday I, I discovered that there's a video series on the Board Game Revolution YouTube channel. Um, called One Good Turn. And I saw that and I was like, that is a really, really clever idea. The idea is that there are little videos, short videos, some of them are a little longer, but most of them are, I think are around five, 10, maybe 15 minutes, where all they do is show you a single turn in the game. And it's a kind of a planned turn. It isn't a random turn. It's a, a planned stage turn to show you what a good turn in the game looks like. And I thought this was really clever. And it, I, I made a note of it because it's something that I might want to do for our games as well to show you so it's not a full gameplay video. Um, you don't have to spend an hour watching a full gameplay video. You can just sit down and watch like five to 10 minutes of a single turn of the game to see what a turn of a game looks like. And I'm curious if you all are interested in that. If you, if you think it's worth me testing out what that might look like. My tech setup is a little limited. I'm using a camera attached to a desktop monitor right now. So I might do it in the Rolling Realm style where I just point the camera down at my desk and have the, the turn set up on the table itself. Won't be very high tech. But um, but you'll actually get to see the pieces moving around on the table. So I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by that concept of, of like mini, little mini gameplay videos that just focus on a single turn. And maybe I talk a little bit more in detail than just saying, okay, move the cube over here. I do this. I, I explain a little bit more of the rules as I'm doing it. Let me know if you, that might be helpful for you if you want to learn about one of our games that you don't already know about. All right, let's go back to Kevin's comment. He says, have I thought any more, have I put any more thought into a Stillmeyer collection badge for owning all the games or certain games, or way to mark on our champion account what games and expansions we own. I thought uh, I thought you were asked about it last year, but um, but haven't been asked since then. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I have thought about this. I don't know exactly how to do it. Um, 
are how to best represent that. Uh, there is the Discord server now where people, I think, are able to kind of share on their profile which games they own. Um, we haven't found a way to do it on our web store. I, would, I, would, I did talk to our web developer about that, uh, of having a way on the web store, the web store kind of remembering what you've already bought, what you've already owned. And I, I don't think there's a great way to do it on the web store. Um, I think one way to do it. Oh, and also, I think when I mentioned it, people mentioned that there you can essentially do it in the Board Game Geek app. Um, it isn't champion specific, but you can mark what games you own in the Board Game Geek app. But um, we also have our new scoring app, the Stone Game Scoring app. And while it doesn't let you exactly save the games that you own, that is a functionality I think we'll add at some point. It does uh, the new build that we're going to release in the very near future of the Stonemeyer Scores app is. Uh, it will let you score any game. So it'll have scoring calculators for all the games and just a way to save the scores for any game that you play. So ideally in the future, we'll add some way for you to indicate the games that you own in that app, but the functionality is all there. We're getting very close to it within that app itself. Julie says, have I ever had pecan pie cake? It's a pecan pie baked into a chocolate layer cake. Now that I've had this little chocolate dip thing, I that sounds amazing, Julie. I don't think I've had that. I think I have had chocolate pecan pie and i definitely like that but i i love the idea of pecan pie baked into a chocolate cake layer that sounds amazing dusty says how can i get in contact with megan's parents and get on their good side <laughs> uh that's uh that's uh, i'll have to ask her parents about that I, uh it's called andre's is the store i believe it's a chocolate shop in kansas city um michael says no need to read this out loud so i'll read it privately just in case let's see um, actually, I'll read it all. Like, I, I think this is good feedback. So he says he's, he really loves Tapestry, but he's heard three big things from, it, from its detractors. And I think these are legitimate things. They dislike the randomness of the Tapestry cards. They don't like that the game ends at different times for different players. And they come to, ex they come to it expecting a 4X Civilization game, which it does not. He says, obviously, I disagree with them on these issues, but that seems to be their thinking. And I would add the, the balance issues. There are some civilizations where if you know the game pretty well, some civs are significantly better than others and some are not as good as others. Um, I would add that as a, as a fourth thing. The civ thing has always just baffled me a little bit because uh, I designed it from uh, from the ground up as a civ game, researching all the other civ games. Um, I think maybe it just throws people a little bit off that, it, that tapestry isn't based on real world history, but I don't think that's said anywhere that, that a civilization game needs to be based on real world history. Um, I hear the randomness of the tapestry cards. At the same time, Viticulture is rated much higher than tapestry, and Viticulture has card randomness as well. That's the same thing as tapestry. It gives you an abundance of cards, and you choose which cards to play and when to play them. Um, actually, I haven't heard many people say they didn't like that the game ends at different times for different players. I mean, that's a thing that happens in Everdell too, and that's a highly acclaimed game. So, um, yeah, really the, the balance thing is the thing that I heard the most about, um, about why people may have rated it a little bit lower. George says, Scythe has a larger audience for sure. Maybe that's one of the reasons that the Board Game Geek grades also. Take a look at the four Facebook groups of the two games. Number of subscribers is 16,000 versus 7,000. That's true, yeah. And Scythe has sold significantly more copies. Scythe is coming up on 600,000 copies sold at this point. And Tapstry, I don't think, has even eclipsed 100,000. It's a lot of games. It's, I think it's sold around 86,000, which is a lot. But has not eclipsed 100,000, which multiple other games have from some of our games. Julie says, I think a planned turn video would be worth showing, especially if you talk through your thinking for the turn. Totally agree with that. Julie says, when I watch videos by Rado, I enjoy hearing the thought process. I like that. Yeah, I kind of I try to do that with Rolling Realms, um, but uh, but having a video like that for, for each of our games as a way of showcasing just a little snippet of what the game looks like, what it feels like, and the thinking behind it. Yeah, that's the idea. Garrett says, anything new or upcoming on crowdfunding that you have your eye on? I mentioned the Stone Saga game that I'm keeping an eye on right now. Let me see if I'm actually backing anything right now. I don't think I am. Um, supporting the Dice Tower, personally. Um, yeah. That's it. That's it right now. Yeah. Mike says, uh, I know it's not directly driven by your group, but do you know if there are any plans for apps for other games such as Tapestry or Red Rising or Rolling Realms? 
Scythe and Wingspan are beyond addictive. So I think, Mike, you're talking about full AI digital versions of our games. There is one in the works for Tapestry that has been in the works for a long time. Um, Red Rising, we actually don't have the digital rights to, so I can't make it. I, I, I can't make a digital game for Tapestry, or for, for Red Rising, unfortunately. Rolling Realms, there is one in the works, and I believe on the Steam store, you can subscribe to be notified when the game launches. That is in the works. I don't have a lot of contact with that developer. He doesn't, he, I think he even put it on the Steam store for that purpose and didn't tell me. Um, so I'm trying to work on that communication a little bit to stay in the loop, but I think that is in the works. Steve says, do you plan to design games as long as you live? I hope so, yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be designing games for the purpose of publishing them for as long as I live, but uh, it is it is a wonderful creative outlet for me. I it. it it just, uh, it really scratches that itch for me. My other creative outlet for, for a while was writing, writing fiction. And so someday I would love to return to that. Um, and I, f I found that it's tough to do both. I, I don't think I really have the, I'm kind of fully committed in terms of my creative brain space to game design right now. But someday I'd love to balance that a little bit better, better and go a little bit back to writing. Chad says he tries not to get caught up in the board game geek ratings. The vote amount versus the amount of voters is kind of oddly calculated. You've got a game like Gloomhaven, which I'm sure is good, but the type of gamers that would probably give it, that would play it, probably give it a high rating. That's that's fair. While a game like Wingspan, which has around uh, 20,000 more votes, is rated lower, even though a huge chunk of players probably didn't vote. I think the ratio of gamers to voters is higher for a game like Gloomhaven. I hope people realize this. Have you noticed something uh, similar with the, the board game geek rating? I, I have, yeah, I mean, I, and I think part of it is, and this is just part, like, we are all biased in different ways, right? I have an article last year about even reviewer biased. I don't think we can expect anyone to be completely unbiased. Um, it, it, it's hard to separate all the different factors that, that bias us. Like, you can love a game, but maybe not love the art, and that might bias your opinion. You might you might love a game, and you don't like uh, the, the, the something about that company, and that might bias your opinion as well. There's so many different things that can that can add to that bias. And I think part of this is selection bias. I think in general, well, at least for me, I'll speak for me. I tend to play games that I think I might enjoy. I and I tend to not play games that I don't think I'll enjoy. So my selection bias means that for any game that I play, there is a greater chance that that game will have a higher rating than all the games that I choose not to play and not to rate. I think the th thing that throws me the most on Board Game Geek. And I, fortunately, I don't think in the end, if a game gets enough votes and plays, that it doesn't impact the rating in the end. But it kind of baffles me that you can rate games without playing them. And I and I don't think there's any way to change this. There's there's really no way to like prove that you've played a game, um, nor should you have to prove that you've played a game to rate it. But I really wish people wouldn't rate games until they've played them. And this goes for both sides, because there are people that rate games, one, um, that they haven't played for whatever reason. There are games that people... Who, who there are people who rate games 10 to balance out those ones. I, I just, I don't rate a game until I've played it uh, because I am showing my indication for how much I enjoy my play of that game. So that is, the, that is I think, a human-driven thing, something that we have control over as gamers who use BoardGameGeek. We can choose not to rate games until we actually play the games, and I, I would hope more people would do that. Uh, George and Dusty have some thoughts about Tapestry. George says, the best balance that those sibs will ever have will be the initial release ones from 2019. The, way, the first way you've designed them were perfect. I, I wish that were true, George. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I, that was the goal for them to have to be for them to be perfect at the time. Um, but I think we, we've seen that that some of them are, are imbalanced or unbalanced when they're in the hands of uh, an experienced Tapestry player. So given that we have the opportunity to do better, um, I look forward to releasing the, the adjusted Tapestry Civilizations at some point. Maybe this year, hopefully this year, hopefully later this year. We'll see if we get to it. Dusty says, another possible explanation for the rating difference between Scythe and Tapestry is that the gaming landscape has changed a lot between Scythe and Tapestry. That's true. Perhaps people were giving, were more giving of higher scores early on, and as the industry has grown, too, so people may have started to maybe adjust their point scale. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely fair. He says, for me, both Scythe and Tapestry are right there side by side, though I think the art is more tightly integrated into Scythe and it feels more cinematic in that regard, which I think is something that I really like. That's totally fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think those are both excellent points, Dusty. I'm sure even myself, like not uh, on purpose, but I'm sure my rating scale has, cha has changed over time as well. Miles says, have I checked out the, uh, the Andromeda's Edge? 
uh, which is the space follow-up to Dwellings of Eldervale. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the, the whatever they do to, to fund it or open pre-orders for it. I haven't dug too deep into the game yet, Miles, but I am very, very curious about it. Are there any, have you seen any real, like really good videos or deep dives into what makes it unique or what, um, what the game is all about? Feel free to link to them in the comments here if you have. Tony says that he's teaching Ark Nova this weekend. He says, I believe you played it. I have, yeah, I've done some, some deep dive videos about Ark Nova. Do you have any thoughts to ease the learning curve? It's probably our heaviest game to this point. Uh, you know, my, my teaching style, Tony, is to have players start taking turns and to walk them through the first turn of the game. So I would recommend um, using, like it has the core actions, right? So have, to, so kind of walk each player through a different action, ideally in either the four and five, four or five slot on their player mat. So choose an action for a player to take, walk them through what that action looks like, and then choose a different action for the next player and walk them through that action and teach that action to the whole player, the whole table as those players are taking those actions. And if you come around the table and you've taught all the actions and players are like, oh, I, I wish I could have done something completely different, scratch it and do something different. But really nothing you do in that first round of teaching each of the actions will... Um, will destroy anyone's strategy for the rest of the game. Um, not even close. So, oh, I, and one other thing too, the game does ask you to make a decision before the game begins. Don't ask players to do that uh, if, if they're learning the game. So instead, just deal, um, I don't know, the game asks you to deal eight cards to each player and they have to select four. I believe that's the number. It might be 10 and five, but I think it's eight and four. What is a better way to do that? You could deal all eight and have them later on select the four. You could also just deal four to each player and maybe give them a bonus draw at a certain point a few turns later. There's got to be some way to, to better onboard that uh, for players to make that decision if they don't understand the game yet. You can also deal all eight to them and just suggest that they pick cards that share, um, that share icons, that share continent icons, the tags. Let me run through some quick topics real quick. Well, actually, no, I'll, I'll focus on you all. You all are asking questions here. I'll get back to my topics in a minute. Um, yeah, I'll ask a few more questions real quick. Steve says, what was your life like before you became a board game designer? How long were you designing games before you had a game published? I've been designing games since I was around seven or eight years old. So I'm 42 now. I've been designing games pretty much my whole life. Before I was a game designer, or before I was uh, working for Silmar Games full-time, I worked for as, a, the, as the director of operations at a facility on, the, on a college campus here in St. Louis. And then before that, I worked in project management for a company that did project management for medical textbooks. And before that, I went to college at, uh, at Washington University here in St. Louis. Chances have I been following the D&D OGL news. Yes, this came up last week. I wasn't entirely, I commented on it very briefly. He says, it sounds really scary on the business side. I'm sure the backlash from the community is eye-opening to publishers. It is, yeah. Um, I, I heard that they did respond and apologize to it a little bit, but uh, but the, a lot of damage may have already been done. And uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, I think it's always a very tricky thing when you have a lot of people creating really, really cool things for your products, and then you try to retroactively to kind of restrict that creativity. And, and um, I think that can be that can be really disheartening for people who care passionately about 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 a world or about a brand. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunate, and I, I I'm sure that Wizards of the Coast did not did not uh, rush out the announcement, but I think maybe they, they could have tested it a little bit more to see how people would have responded to it. JB asked, uh, let's see, JB says that he got interested in Kanban EV and discovered Vital Lacerda through one of the game, video, the game design videos that I did. He said, "What? which of Lacerda's games are your favorite? What is my favorite Lacerda game? Um, I think the 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 sort of game that I would be most likely to play again would be would be Kanban. Um, I haven't played Kanban EV, but it would be either the original Kanban or I would try uh, Kanban EV just to, to try something new. Yeah. Jerome says board game sales went up during lockdowns. Has it gone back down to normal since the reopening of society? It has gone. Uh, sales have gone down, but I don't think it's due to society opening back up. I think it's due to higher freight shipping costs. And um, and due to inflation and due to the recession, I think that those are the factors that are much more tied to it. 
Chad says, uh, he says, he feels like his comments have been on the negative side. Oh, here we go. Thank you, Miles, for sharing that video. Miles shared a video about Andromeda's Edge versus Dwellings of Elderville. Okay, Chad says, what has brought me joy this week? Well, those, those chocolate treats definitely brought me joy. Um, let me see if there's anything related to Stillmire Games that has brought me joy. Um, I played a game called Wild Tales this past weekend with Megan, a little cooperative game from Buttonshy Games. That brought me joy. That was a fun game to play. I filmed a video on that. also had fun playing a, a game on Board Game Arena called Valbala last week that I hadn't played before. And I had a lot of fun with that, too. Like That was a really neat game. It's a little bit like Libertalia, maybe a lighter version of Libertalia. That's on Board Game Arena right now. I don't, I don't think this game has gotten much press, but I think it's definitely worth trying if you like Libertalia. And I also had a wonderful, lot of fun game, or round of disc golf this past weekend. We had 11 people in our group, and we're all tabletop gamers who also love disc golf. And so we decided, and we were playing in a course that was heavily wooded, where it's very easy to hit a tree and go way off into nowhere. And so we decided to play doubles, and I brought along a bag of paired meeples so like two red meeples two yellow meeples two green meeples and we all drew a meeple out of the bag and had a random pairing um kind of survivor style to see what our our, our partner would be for the round and i thought it was a lot of fun I, miles was there too miles did you like that approach to doing to pairing doubles doing it completely randomly i had a lot of fun with it especially for a bigger group in a wooded area like that dustin says this live is provoking me to actually rate games on board game geek um, I referenced the ratings and read comments, but I rarely have contributed. I wonder how many people will do the same. Probably quite a few, Dustin. Um, and I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I, I highly encourage anyone, if you've played a game and you, ha and you have, or, and you're able to rate it on a 1 to 10 scale, feel free to do so. Uh, it can really, it can really help, I think, show people uh, what, uh, what, what other people think about games. Because a lot of people just do look at the rankings and the ratings. Oh, Garrett says that Tim Schwan has a few Andromeda Edge videos as well. I don't know how I've missed those. I, I definitely subscribe to his channel. And so, yeah. Oh, I have seen this. Uh, I've seen a video on Andromeda's Edge, but I haven't seen this particular one. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that, that reference. Uh, Tim says, the Dice Tower folks recently mentioned the textured capital boards and slightly gummy pieces used in Tapestry as a possible solution for the guild of merchant explorers problem of sliding cubes such a small but important component decision um yeah i've never heard tapestry pieces described as gummy before but i can see what you're saying and we do use the the frosted coating on the boards to help uh add a little bit of um what's the word not texture what is texture not tension but uh but grip grip what's the word i'm thinking of when something when you want something to uh uh friction Friction? Yeah, maybe friction. Yeah, yeah, it does help. I've never had that. I haven't had that problem with uh, the Guild of Merchant Explorers, but uh, I can see if you bump the table, that would be a problem. But bumping the table is a problem in any game, I think. Things are going to go someplace. Nancy Jane says that she played Flamecraft for the first time last week. Uh, their player aids and some of the design choices made it very easy to learn. I agree. It was a very easy to learn game. Dusty mentions that Arc Nova has a quick start guide on their website. Thank you, Dusty. I, I had forgotten they had that, but yeah, that's that's a that's a great recommendation. Gerald says Manchester United is up for sale. Have you considered putting Stillmire Games up as collateral to buy Stillmire Games Manchester United for six million dollars? Six billion dollars, not six million, six billion dollars. I do like Man U, although I'm more of a Wrexham man myself now. I Wrexham really that Wrexham TV show really got me into Wrexham. Elizabeth says there seem to be a, seems to be a rise of young versions of popular games. As a special education teacher for preschool kids, I love adapting games for her age group. That's wonderful that you do that. Is there any chance that Wingspan might fall into that group like a My Little Wingspan? Uh, that's a good question, Elizabeth. I think there is the possibility, probably not under that phrasing of My Little Wingspan, but there is the possibility of us making a Wingspan sequel or spinoff that skews a little bit younger or a little bit more accessible i'll use the word accessible instead of young more accessible than wingspan um, i think that is a possibility in the future let's see uh angelo says was wingspan that was wingspan asia one to two player created because you got the feedback that that base wingspan one to two player was weak no no i actually did i i think wingspan at one and two players works fantastically well both the the solo mode and the two player mode we saw it more as an opportunity to um, to get people into the world of Wingspan 
if they only play two players and they hadn't played wingspan yet if they if they primarily only have one one gaming partner that they could buy wingspan asia for one to two players and i think actually it might have even started with the flock mode where we started to think about I can't even remember which one came first at this point, but I think it, we're talking about expanding Wingspan up to six or seven players, because that is something that people asked for. They asked, to, they wanted a higher player against a Wingspan. And we figured, okay, if we're including the player components for a sixth and seventh player, why not make this expansion playable out of the box for one to two players, since we have one to two extra components in there. So, no, it wasn't, a, I've, I'm sure maybe there are people out there that feel that way, but I love Wingspan to two players. I think we've gotten a lot of good feedback at Wingspan about Wingspan for one to two players. That reminds me, though, while we're talking about Board Game Geek rankings, uh, if you have played Wingspan Asia, feel free to rate it on Board Game Geek because it is also a standalone game on Board Game Geek as well as an expansion. So it applies to the Board Game Geek rankings. Expansions aren't typically ranked on Board Game, Board Game Geek, but a game that is also an expansion does, does apply to those rankings. My video this past Sunday was about intrinsic motivations. That was a really fun video to film because I, I hadn't realized quite how much of an intrinsically motivated gamer I am until I filmed that video. That's from Sunday. I also posted about the fan art challenge on Monday this week. And last week I, to I post posted about um, a post called This Too Shall Pass. It's uh, a post that um, I'd recommend reading if you or someone you care about is kind of being bombarded with comments, probably on social media, if it's on social media, uh, about something they said or that they did. And the, the post doesn't try to justify what they said or did or any way. I think we all mess up and sometimes we get bombarded for that. But um, the post goes into how to deal with that, how to handle it personally, emotionally, how to respond, how not to respond. Uh, that was uh, this past Thursday that I posted about that. And yeah, I have a, I have a live stream today at five o'clock on a uh on the on twitch for for uh blood on the clock tower it's not a blood i'm not playing blood on the clock tower i'm just talking with the blood and blood on the clock tower folks and today at three o'clock and thursday and friday at three o'clock central time i'll be doing rolling realms live plays in the rolling realms facebook group as usual what else is going on i had a great chat oh yeah last week we had a lot of stuff going on last week last week was an intense week of, of play testing because on wednesday i had four of my team members, or three of my team members over to play test a, uh, a pre-production copy of a game that we're working on. And also a, uh, a late stage prototype of another game that we're working on. So it was an intense play testing day. And then the next day I had another play test of a different game and, and a follow-up with a, a discussion with the designers of that game. Um, I, I was play testing with Alan. I, I later have a, had a discussion with the designers, really good chat with them. And also been going through some art samples for some games, uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff, reviewing, you know, production copies, art samples, looking at uh, the, the mock-up of a, a new game that we're working on that's in the graphic design stage right now. Yeah, a lot of fun things happening behind the scenes that I look forward to showing you. And some of those things that I just talked about, you might be seeing a little bit sooner than you might normally expect. So keep an eye on, on our e-newsletter in the fairly near future. Let's see. Okay, Miles said that he did have fun with the random pairings that we used for disc golf this past Sunday. Um, let's see. Garrett says, I noticed that the second printing of the Wingspan nesting box was fulfilled by Miniature Market. Will they be fulfilling future projects for similar games? They will. Yeah. We are moving our U.S. fulfillment from Greater Than Games over to Miniature Market. Uh, not the store Miniature Market, but the fulfillment center that Miniature Market has. They have a huge warehouse, huge fulfillment center, and... Um, for various decisions, we, we or reasons that we, we think that they are they are well equipped to to handle the level of uh, and the, the quantity of games and products that we that we make and ship at this point. So yeah, um, hopefully they did a good job of it. Uh, the nesting box is a little bit easier for anyone to ship because it's prepackaged. All they all they have to do is put a label on it and get it out the door. Topher says, curious if you and others in the chat change their ratings over time. That's a good question, Topher, for, for anyone who wants to answer this. Um, I do occasionally change my ratings, and I, I almost try to remind myself, if I'm playing a game that I typically, typically I, try, I only try to change it for the better. If I play a game and I find that I enjoyed it more than the previous time that I played it, I might go revisit my rating, or I try to remind myself to do that. This has happened a few times where I've, I've uh, 
increase the rating for a game where I, my initial impression wasn't great. And then I played it again. I was like, no, this is actually a really, really good game. Actually, speaking of which, well, not speaking of which necessarily, but Citadels is a game that I have not played in a long time. I'm kind of hoping to get it to game night tonight because I, I don't know, it's been on my shelf and I just have not played it in ages. Look how old this box is. It's an ancient box. So I'm curious if it holds up. Have any of you played Citadels in a, in a while? This copy even has sleeve cards. This is great. Yeah, I'm hoping to give that a try tonight if people are up for it at game night. Gerald says traction. Traction is kind of the word I was looking for. I think friction friction or traction were the words I was looking for. Yeah. JB says, what did you like the most in Kanban? Did you or will you play Weather Machine? I probably won't play Weather Machine, JB. Typically, I will say this. I'll, I'll play pretty much any game once. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll generally, I gravitate towards spending time on games that I think I am inclined to like. And as much as I admire Vitalis Soto's designs, um, his style of design just doesn't resonate with me as a gamer. Um, so I probably won't play Weather, Weather Machine. As for what I liked the most about Kanban, it's been a long time since I've played it. But I remember liking the little mini games that were happening. And I thought each mini game was pretty easy to understand. Um, and so... That's why that, that's why I think I might return to it someday if I if I return if I return to a, a Vitalis sort of game. Yeah, I am happy though, JB, that you really seem to click with his games. That's that's wonderful that that one of my videos introduced you to is a designer that you really enjoy. Uh, Chad says, after watching your intrinsically motivated games video, I found that I leaned that way as well. Have you considered any ways that you can design for this type of player? Yeah, that's, that's what that video was all about, Chad. Like kind of me reminding myself, these are, these are things that games do um, to enable players to be intrinsically motivated. So yeah, that was that, what that video was all about. And kind of me just refreshing myself of, these are the things that I can do as a designer. These are the tools that I have if I want to let intrinsically motivated players have a sense of freedom and fun in the games that I've designed or that I will design, that I am designing, yeah. Julie says that she plays. She has played Citadels in the past year and or a few times over the past year and still enjoy it. That's great. That is encouraging. I need to refresh myself on the rules a little bit, but I don't remember them being all that complicated. Steve says, I noticed that Scythe has 195 user files on BoardGameGeek. Rolling Realms has over 150 fan-made realms. These are incredible numbers. They are. I totally agree. What is it like to have design games that inspire so much creativity in others and must feel, make you feel pretty chuffed as a designer? Uh, it does. I mean, it's, I, I love that. I love that. This ties to the D&D OGL thing that I love that people have had that sense of freedom of creating content for our games and sharing it openly. I, I, I want them to be able to share that openly. I don't necessarily want them to sell it because um, I think that gets into a, another tricky area of selling content that looks exactly like the content in our games. Um, but that's another tricky area. But Creating for fun, sharing for fun, sharing for free for anyone to print and, and try it out on their own. I love that. I'm honored by that. I'm flattered by that. Absolutely. Josh says he didn't get the, the live notification this time. Um, I believe, Josh, that I read a blog post from you this morning about your experiences at um, at, uh, at, a, at a castle, at a gaming castle. That's, if, that, if I'm making the dots correctly here, that, that looks incredible. Bruce says, am I going to Dice Tower West in Vegas this March? I'm not, but I will be at Geekway to the West in St. Louis in May of this year. I'm eager for that sign-up to go live. Is that, when is that going live? Let's look up. Geekway to the West. When do sign-ups go live? They go live. When do they go live? 19, no. It's in 119 days. Open registration begins on January 20th. Okay, so very soon, just two days from now. January 20th is when you can start to sign up for Geekway to the West. I can't wait for that. So Josh did say it was correct and it was great. Uh, Josh, what was the castle-like feel of it? Did it really feel like you were in a castle while you were there? I, I love the idea of playing games in a castle for a weekend. And Ohio is a little far away to do that, but I love that there is a, a castle in Ohio where you can do that. That is so cool. Josh says that he already actually got his Geekway badge. He went with a patron badge. Very fancy, Josh. I'm just going to go for a regular badge myself. Chad says, is that one of the fun mugs that you have? Something peeking down at you as the level goes down? It is. Yeah, this is a mug from my childhood. My mom used to serve me, um, not serve me. We used to, 
we used to have hot cocoa in these mugs. And this is a mug that my mom let me keep as an adult. Or maybe, maybe I'm mistaken this. Maybe this is a mug that I picked up that reminded me of that mug. I, I can't exactly remember, but it has a little, a little swirl in there. So when I get, I usually fill up my coffee mug like right above the squirrel. And then I get to see the little squirrel peeking out. It's, uh, it's adorable. That brings me joy every day for sure. When I'm drinking my daily coffee. Speaking of daily coffee, I think it's around lunchtime for Jamie and Megan here in St. Louis. Thank you all for joining me for today's live cast. And um, yeah, I, I, I always enjoy your questions and your comments and your ideas here. Steve, thank you for waking up so early to do this. I hope you go back, you're able to go back to sleep. And I'm glad you really enjoyed. Welcome to Wrexham. It, it is quite the emotional roller coaster, but I think it's worth the ride if you watch the, the Welcome to Wrexham show. You all, I hope you have a wonderful week. I will see you tomorrow for a blog post, or maybe I'll see you for a Rolling Realms live stream today or the, the Blood on the Clock Tower live stream on their Twitch channel later today. Have a great day, and I will, I will see you next week. Bye.